Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. Today I'm with Kurt Fernley, who really needs no introduction, and I could spend the entire time of the podcast giving the introduction to Kurt, one of our most respected and loved Australians, one of our great athletes, three-time Paralympic gold medalist and two-times Commonwealth Games gold medalist. He won more than 40 marathons, including New York, Chicago and London, and a sporting career spanning more than 20 years. In uh, 2009, Kurt uh, undertook the Kokoda track, crawled the track to raise awareness for men's health, and he's been a member of a winning Sydney to Hobart yacht crew. 2019, New South Wales Australian of the Year, best-selling author, podcaster and now television celebrity host of ABC's One Plus One. That's quite a resume, Kurt. How's television? Is it treating you well? I was I was always nervous about getting involved with television. I, I, I loved radio. I, 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 um, I, I love being able to tell a story and get people engaged in what's going on. I think it's really helpful, especially if you're in advocacy, is being able to tell a story that people can come along with you. Uh, but something about television every year, every year I would sit down and I would think, is this the last bit of TV that I do? <laughs> and and um, then I was introduced to One Plus One and I was given the opportunity. And from the very first episode, I loved it. I, I, I enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed anything. I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed wheelchair racing. So um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, my second season there and... I'm enjoying it far more than what I could have ever imagined. Yeah, and, and, and I know from my time at the ABC, the power of telling Australian stories. Um, and if you look at the history of television, you know, some of our most famous programming, you know, Andrew Denton, you think of the impact of someone like Michael Parkinson, you know, Ray Martin, it's the ability to sit down and have a yarn with people and talk with people and hear their stories and often feel that by hearing stories, we just understand each other better. We have greater insight into each other. And it's like a community building exercise in many ways. So I was delighted you got the gig and uh, and uh, television, mate, you know, bright lights make up all of that. It's a whole new world from you from <laughs> racing. I want to talk with you today about education though, because, you know, you're a graduate of the public education system here in New South Wales. And you often talk about, and you've written about the important role your teachers played in setting you on your pathway to success. For those who, who, who may not have read your book or heard you speak of your story, talk a little bit about the important role that education played in defining you and setting you on your journey. I guess there are, there are quite a few stories where pivotal moments in life where a teacher, an educator was able to stand in and, and, and gently push me in the, the direction that I believe I needed to go. Uh, I, it was 1985 uh, when I went to, uh, to, to kindergarten and my mum talks about a meeting that she had with a department official in 1985 about how I was, need, I was going to have to need to be transported into Orange and for those who are from uh, and are familiar with Wiradjuri country with, with central west New South Wales, it was probably 50 minutes away from home each day. My family weren't the most financial family that was going to be to a, a special school, to a segregated education setting. And the options were pretty limited to get me over there. Um, my, my family were thinking about 
how that would happen. There was the opportunity for, uh, you know, like it was just when you grow up in a town of 200 people, an hour away feels like a lifetime away. Mm -hmm. I maybe went into these towns once every three months. That wasn't my community. I didn't know anyone in Orange. That could have been planting me on Mars. I know that it sounds strange now, but it was, it was so foreign to a five-year-old kid that it was the thought of that would have been just terrifying. Um, after this, after this meeting, my principal went into mum and dad's house that evening, and I do remember this. I do remember him telling my mum and dad, and my mum and dad talking to them, and him just saying, "Ignore what you just heard." and he said that I deserve to go to Kharkov Public, that he deserves to teach me, that the kids deserve to have me, that my brothers and sisters deserve to have me in the same school as them. And and then my teacher, who was Mrs. Masters, I spoke to her just recently about the work that they did, about how once they had that conversation, they got to work and they cemented a few parts of the school so that I could access it. They weren't able to apply for any funds because I wasn't an approved student, um, and I asked them why, and they said because you're a little do- you're a little boy who deserved to. You're a little boy who deserved to come to the same school as his brothers and sisters, and there was no alternative. And you know that sent me on this. And we 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 speak about expectation a lot, but for me, expectation is everything. And it can be not just the expectation to perform in class, but the expectation you get given when you feel that normality of entering a school with your brothers and sisters. There's the expectation of normality there. And and then time after time, there were teachers that kind of, my, my high school teacher who uh, at Blaney, Blaney High, who would spend her lunchtime calling up somebody when I was starting to isolate myself, when I was starting to figure out that I was somebody that was different within that setting and sport was the thing that was actually highlighting that difference. She spent her lunchtime calling up every number that she could find to find wheelchair sports New South Wales to eventually introduce me to my coach who would then coach me for 25 years. So, and that that teacher and the advice that I received from, 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 you know, just such, I guess, community-minded public education teachers is the reason why I would become a teacher. And, you know, I, I guess it's also four of my brothers and sisters would also find their way to public education as well. So there, there was a real appreciation of the value and the, and, the, and the powerful kind of contribution that public education plays, plays uh, in the lives, especially in the lives of people that are potentially marginalised. Yeah. I want to come back and talk about, you know, your training to be a teacher and some of your teaching experience, but but talk just a little bit more about your discovery of sport and the, and the support you had for sport to be, to help create that kind of level playing field for you and that point of engagement with others for you. Yeah, so back in primary school, I just kind of got involved in everything and spent the time crawling over fields and, you know, just doing whatever I could to to, um, to to be a part of it. I felt like I was the kid that I was the one that would adjust to get into everything. Um, because when you're little, you kind of can adjust. You, you, you know, like 
the the ability in sport as a kinder year, as a year one, you know, you can bluff your way through. And if the people are willing, like your teacher is willing to alter the rule, you can be a part of basically anything. But later on, it became um, just harder and harder to alter a rule to allow me to feel like I'm participating in any kind of meaningful way. And that's when uh, that's when the real adjustments had to be made, where instead of you know, teaching basketball for for four weeks. My teacher taught wheelchair basketball. That mm. she went looking throughout the state to borrow five wheelchairs off people and brought wheelchairs into the school setting. And she gave an education to everyone. That again, that's 1992 that that was happening. And found the wheelchairs from Wheelchair Sports New South Wales, borrowed them. I think even found some money to hire them for a few weeks and and gave me a taste, gave me a taste of sports of an, of an even playing field. But also I think the lesson there was, was school-wide. You know, if you, if you put everybody in the same, same kind of experience as your, as your kid, if you give them that even playing field with your kid with disability, then everyone gets a bit of a lesson out of it. You know, Kurt, you're one of the most amazing um, public speakers that I've heard. And, you know, you gave this wonderful address at the Public Education Foundation Awards a couple of years ago that I remember being spellbound by. You can just reflect a little bit about, you know, the kinds of messaging that your sporting career gives you, the things that you've understood about tenacity, growth mindset, um, a focus on achievement that you feel are important messages for kids to be learning at school, irrespective of whether it's sport or whether it's music or whether it's their academic pursuits, just a mindset towards achievement? Yeah, I, I, I feel like we put, our, we put our elite athletes into these programs about positive affirmation and visualization and positive self-talk. And we give them these skills to put context around misfortune and 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 the strategies to be able to deal with you know the, the ups and downs that happen in sport it's kind of like this vacuum that you were allowed to kind of learn messages through but i do wish that we were talking about that more that yeah. we were talking about the ability to tinker around the edges of how somebody is able to deal with day-to-day -day life because that can be put into the classroom by by talking about how one of the things that I've taken out of sport is that no matter what I do, no matter what craft I take up or, or thing that I chase after, I'm going to believe that I'm going to nail it. There is, there is this idea that I'm going to do as best as I can and I think that there is success out there at the end of that. And then you adjust the, you adjust the expectations um, around that as well. But for me, learning how you learn and learning how your kids process things, I think, and, and recognising that there are lessons that you can be taught once there's like a really trusting environment. Like you sit down with your coach and you know that this person not only has content to give to you, but there's a trust that they're in it with you. So then you invest it even more. And that's when we were able to really talk about those things about you're going to wake up every day and you're going to tell yourself that you're strong, that you're resilient, that you're able to handle what's coming, that, that, uh, you know, and, and that if there is something that is, um, that, that is 
uh, an additional layer of hardship, then you speak about it and we'll get through it together, that kind of stuff. Where you kind of feel guilty that you were given all of those learning experiences and it's like somebody has given you these additional tools in the tool shed of experiencing life. And you wish that there was a way that you could that you could kind of condense that and give it to every 10, 11, 12, 13 year old. Has it changed um, the way you parent those insights? Yes, 100%. Mm. So ever since the moment that we've had uh, Harry and Amelia, my, my two kids, we speak to them and have spoke to them since the first first seconds that they've been here. We, I remember speaking to them and telling both of them how much we love them and how strong they are and, and how much we hope that they find the thing that they love. And we've spoken about every single thing that, that whenever they fall over, you know, and there's tears, you know, we'll pick them up and remind them that this thing, I know it's really hard right now, but this is going to make you stronger. Like you're strong enough to get through it. And I have no idea whether or not, like, <laughs> I know that it's I know that it's working because now Harry's six and he he falls off a motorbike and you know like he runs up to me and he's in tears and he tells me that that he knows that this is going to make me stronger but it hurts like so I'm not exactly sure what the outcome will be he could I could be creating a little psychopath but he he is definitely taking on the same lessons that I learned and all I can learn is that they made me strong. Like when I was crawling through the bush in Karkor and I would come back home with the cuts and bruises of climbing over fences and my mum would sit me down and tell me that this is going to make you stronger, that your the life is going to be a little bit uncomfortable and you're going to be strong enough to deal with it because you're the one that's learning who you are through this hardship. Like that was, you know, like, for me, that was pivotal. That created me and that allowed me to become the person that I did become. And I did become strong. Like, I know I know that. That is, that is one thing that is just not in... It's in my DNA that, that I can't even question it, that I know when there is a moment of hardship coming that I will thrive. Um. Kurt, I, you, you trained to be a teacher, and as I've said to you in the past, we're always available, mate. When the television career is done, you know, we, you've got our you've got our number. But tell us a little bit about training to be a teacher, and what you got out of the period of time that you spent teaching in our schools. Yeah, training to be a teacher, it, it was great. I did PDHBE, so I did a Bachelor of Education and Bachelor of Human Movement. The human movement part, the human movement part taught me more about my body for training. So I was able to understand uh, a lot of the things that I'd already been putting into my day-to-day -day life. The education part kind of taught me how to, how to learn. Um, there were some challenges in there. Um, I do remember that, and I, it's still happening today, that I get emails from people who are training to be teachers who are people with disabilities who speak about how they're, told that they're going to be failed because they can't participate in certain elements of the teaching process. Whether So I, I got 
I had one of the most stressful days was going through my degree and I was told I would fail because I couldn't participate in volleyball and you needed to pass. <laughs> you needed to pass to become a teacher. And I, I don't know about you, but half of my half of my teachers couldn't be volleyball players. Like they couldn't participate no. in the sport, but learning how to teach the sport, I my argument was that if I can learn how to teach, if I know the practical elements of it, then then I think that I should be able to get through it. And there was quite a process over a couple of weeks to negotiate my way through the uh, through the degree, really. And that's still happening to people with disabilities that while they're studying, there's I got one the other week that told that they wouldn't be able to continue with their degree because of some element of not being able to practically participate. So, and those moments for people with disabilities, unless you are a fierce advocate of yourself, can be pretty crushing. Mm. Um, but the benefit that I, I received from teaching was, um, it was both uh, humbling, but also uh, being able to being able to sit down. And I taught mostly in uh, indigenous areas or uh, remote areas, and uh, uh, because I grew up in regional and, and remote, I kind of always wanted to get back out to Walbert or or Angeri or uh, uh, West Wyalong. Um, so I always found it challenging that you would go into a room in the middle of the city and you'd be hailed as a uh, you know sporting champion <laughs> but if you go out to a year nine class in Walbert that doesn't matter nothing matters except for how you're going to be received in that first 30 seconds and for me being able to relate to, to kids and especially if I was able to have kids in my class who felt like they didn't relate to lots of people but they would see me as somebody that was different and and really engage, I found that kind of energy infectious. And that was the reason why I would continue with my degree. And that was, I don't know, that was always, if I could find that moment where I saw myself in a kid, a kid that, especially in those ages, who kind of wanted to hide, but they would see something in me that they would want to show who they are. Um, I found, and I still find, just that's the, I don't know, that's the the reason why I guess I'm, I'm here. Um, I remember being at a conference of newspaper editors once and, and Bono was speaking at it and he said, um, celebrity is an obscenity, but if I'm going to be famous, I'm going to put my celebrity to good use. <laughs> um, um, you, you're, you're probably, you know, I think almost unarguably Australia's most famous person with a disability. I mean, since we've known you with the disability and watched your extraordinary uh, sporting prowess as a consequence. So in a sense, the nation knows you well, but you're using, in a sense, your celebrity and your profile, your voice to be a powerful advocate for people with disabilities? I mean, what drives you now in that important work? Um, I always thought the the cure to fame is the bush. <laughs> the cure to fame is to be around family and be around people that are familiar and, and 
and that just doesn't exist any, anymore. Um, the reason, the driving force behind advocacy is that if you're a kid who is, like I was extremely vulnerable, you know, let's, like we, I know that I am now strong, but you don't get a more vulnerable human than somebody that's financially about in the lowest, you know, the lowest group that's, uh, that, that, that measuring could take. Um, and a kid who is crawling to get anywhere, I could have been overlooked a million times and I could have been lost and my life could have went a million different directions. Directions, Like, thankfully, and thankfully, there was a family unit in there that, that, that corrected for some of those vulnerabilities. They, they turned what, what could have been the isolating vulnerability into a strength. Now, what's the use of it unless I do that to someone else? So I would find that there would be no more selfish act in the world than if I would say, thank you, carry on. You know, I'm off here to retire into uh, a nice and comfy life. And it is hard to put yourself out there. Um, the only times that I get hate mail are when I speak about progressing disability. And you do get hate mail. You'll get someone say that, you know, you talk about something like the NDIS and someone says, why should I pay for the, why should I pay for the fact that your parents weren't responsible enough to abort you? <laughs> you know, it's like, that is the deep, dark part of, mm. of people that I will never mute, that I will never delete without reading because those words that are said to me online are said to a 10 year old online. They're said to a kid somewhere across this country in the playground. Maybe not as dark as that, but maybe. But I need to read it because if I end up in that same space as the kid, I need to let them know that I've had the same stuff happen. So for me, the advocacy side of it is, I always think of Donald Bradman, that through recognition, you, through recognition there should be a, there should be a, um, uh, debt to humanity. So if you are the one that is receiving recognition, I've always seen that as earn it from them. Mm. That's not a celebration of what's happened. That's a, you have to justify it going forward. And with disability, I just, the, the sole focus is always that recognition that we need disability to be given opportunity, we need them to be given access to community, and we need people to be the open doors that they were to me. When I, when I look at the history of public education here in New South Wales, I mean, we've been going, you know, since well before Federation. And I, I think we haven't always met the needs of students with disability well. I think it's a complicated history but now we've got a renewed focus on breaking down barriers for students through our new disability strategy. And we're trying to improve teacher capability and have a real commitment to embedding inclusion um, in all parts of school life. 
What, what do you think, as, as you look back and you think through your own experience, but also all the encounters you've had um, as a public figure engaged with disability, what are the key things you think that we need to be thinking of uh, in a policy sense and in a teacher capability sense to provide the best possible learning opportunity for all of our children to flourish? So it is one of the, I agree with you that it is complex and there are so many different stakeholders and so many different approaches to the question. So I come at it as somebody who has, obviously I've, I've in an advocacy space around, uh, around advocating for um, increased participation of kids with disabilities, but I'm also the dad of two non-disabled kids. And, and as the dad of two non-disabled kids, I want my kids to be in the same room of every variation of disability. And they deserve it. That kid, my kid, deserves to experience all different types of behaviours, all different types of life experiences, so that they understand, they understand somewhat of the the privilege of life and the variation of life. From an advocacy point of view, the hardest working people in our country are public education teachers. They're, they are they are dedicated, hardworking. Um, I think that the, by far the majority want to make the lives of people with disabilities better. Um, but also they are the critical part of the creation of a high-functioning, contributing person with a disability. Um, my, my belief, my fundamental belief is that isolation hurts, that segregation, no matter the short-term benefit, I always think that that segregation a day a week as a five-year-old turns out to be two days a week as a 10-year-old, three days a week as a 16-year-old, five days a week as a 19-year-old. Segregation breeds segregation, isolation breeds isolation. That it also, it may help, it may help with short-term progress, but there is no segregated life after sport. There is no safe bubble that is that is that is there when a kid turns 18 and that there are lessons that kids learn when they are a part of a real world community that are just so incredibly valuable but that is so challenging sometimes because of the ability of a teacher to resource that room and because of the of the hard fought often beliefs of parents of kids with disabilities, where there can be a conflict between the protection, but also the challenging, challenging their child, where they have been defeated by government funding, they've been defeated by services provided in their life, they have got to the point where they just want something that is safe, that is this, but, but um, it, it, it's one of those one of those things that disability is never solved. It's never, it's never done. We will need to constantly battle and challenge the beliefs around disability forever. And we will look back on 2020 in 30 years time and wonder 
what were we doing? How weren't we making these adjustments for autism and Asperger's? How didn't we understand this thing right now that may not even be on the radar? How didn't we do it? Just like we kind of shake our head and go, how did a five-year-old kid, me, ever feel like I wouldn't fit into park or public? Yeah. So all we can do is challenge and progress and, and hope that we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a compelling advocacy, Kurt, and, and I think you're right. I, 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 overwhelmingly, I find, certainly when I travel uh, and sit in schools, mainstream classrooms, specialist settings, uh, the passion, integrity and commitment of those public educators is, is noteworthy. And, and we have these two elements in our strategic plan, this commitment that every student is known, valued and cared for, and that every student is improving every year, that commitment to growth. So they can be fully equipped individuals to flourish in a complex and fast changing world. And, and in, a, in a way, I often think about this policy setting, look, um, not all our policy settings today are where you'd want them to be. If you were starting on the journey today, you wouldn't have you know, put it together. But, but part of our leadership challenge is to, with the awareness and the insight and the research and the understanding of experience, to be able to move from where we are today to a better place. And, um, and to ensure that, that we are providing every young person with the optimal opportunity and the optimal support and teachers who are trained and equipped to be able to deal with this. And uh, you know, I think one of the challenges for us is that you talked about autism and Asperger's. We have a high percentage of children being assessed with disability uh, now than at any time before, which means that every teacher in every classroom will need to be equipped to deal with the complexity that we're seeing. Thanks for your um, insight and your expertise and thanks for your commitment to public education and all you do. And as I said earlier, mate, when, when those television lights turn off, we look, <laughs> the classrooms of New South Wales are open. The kids would be enthralled by having Mr. Fernley in the room as their teacher. Thanks for being with us today on the Every Student Podcast. No problem. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator who we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.